Well, I am excited to finish out this series with you all that we began in June as we look, as Chris mentioned, at our values as a church. And we began with this value. I just want to take a moment to kind of look back at this journey that we've been on this summer so that we can land where we need to today. And we began in June with this value of wholehearted, of showing up with all of our hearts, our minds, our strength. And then we continued on into July with a value of gracious, which is meeting each other where we're at and calling each other to something higher. And you see this progression as we began. Wholehearted is kind of this inward place between learning how to show up with God with all of your heart, your mind, and your strength. And gracious would be the turning out and being able to meet each other with that same posture. But today, we're looking at the rest of that journey from there. And I love the analogy of the journey of following Jesus. And in fact, you see that in our vision of creating space to follow Jesus. But the question that I would like to give today is, what happens when this isn't working anymore? Maybe you've hit a wall in your faith. Maybe you've hit a wall in your relationship status in your parenting, in your work, with life itself, that just life doesn't seem to be working anymore. Maybe you've hit a wall with God. And these are the sort of questions that have come up over the past year and a half, especially for many of us. And maybe you've found yourself thinking, this is not what I signed up for. And I don't know how much longer I can go on. Maybe you find yourself thinking this is not working anymore. Sometimes God's presence does not seem to match our reality. And we see this in the story of Elijah. So turn with me now to 1 Kings 19. And to give some backstory on this, Elijah was a prophet during the time of the nation of Israel. And it tells us in 1 Kings 18 that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Now, the nation of Israel, they had drawn away to worship a false god. And most of God's prophets had been killed during that time. The people of God uh, had been persecuted. And after years of drought and famine and persecution, Elijah has just won this miraculous and decisive battle against the prophets of Baal. And then we see that happening in chapter 18. But even in that moment after that victory, uh, the queen sends an army to kill Elijah. And we see that at the beginning of chapter 19. So we begin our text here as he hears this news. Look with me at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So we see this picture of Elijah. He's weary. He's depressed. He's facing suicidal thoughts. He's hopeless. You could say that his soul is worn down in this extended season of waiting for some kind of change, of remaining faithful, but he hits a wall. And he doesn't want to go along anymore. And you might find yourself as you hear that thinking, whoa, depression? Like suicidal thoughts in the Bible? 
from someone who's called a man of God, that doesn't seem to fit with how I see the Bible, how I see the Christian life going. But sometimes God's presence does not seem to match our reality. So even as you hear that, notice in yourself today, where are you at? Notice what's coming up in you as you're hearing that, and notice to take a minute to just reflect, where am I at right now? Because this is a pivotal moment in Elijah's journey with God. And that same idea of the Christian journey, perhaps we find ourselves at this moment as well. Now, great men and women of the faith, they have talked about different seasons in this faith journey. And, and I think it might be helpful right now to walk through that because we see that Janet Hagward and Robert Gulich have created this map of the seasons of the Christian journey. So it begins with the discovery of God. And that's where you have this radical experience, perhaps, and you realize something needs to change. I don't want to live the way that I, that I did, and I want to live for God. You might have a conversion experience where you have this deep encounter with God's presence. And the second season is discipleship, where you begin to learn and take on new behaviors to replace the old ones, learning the new values that shape the new self. And perhaps at this point, you started coming to church, being part of a Christian community. And with both of these first two phases, there's a reason that we call it the honeymoon phase at the beginning of a relationship, because everything is magical. You know, you're, you come worship and you feel the presence of God so clearly. When you pray, it feels like it's making great change in your life. You know, you read the Bible and every word on the page seems to come alive. And you might find yourself thinking, I'm pretty good at being a Christian. I've got this thing dialed, dialed in. I'm really in tune with God. And these stages, they rely on those pleasant sensations. Because when you think about that, it's really like it's God's grace on us in this early season of our faith. When you think of an addict, they need something pretty strong to help them change their life. Or you think of a baby. They need a lot of care and feeding in order to grow in that early stage. And then we get to the third stage, which is the productive life. And at this point, you might find yourself serving or, or taking ownership for your faith and wanting to share it with others, wanting to learn to do things for God. You're consciously serving God in your life, using your spiritual gifts. And oftentimes, you'll find yourself stepping maybe into leadership at this point. And when there's this misconception that is very subtle, but it's easy to take hold of, and it's this idea that life will get better once I follow Jesus all the situations in my life will get better and better and better the longer that I walk with God. Onward and upward in this journey. And it does feel that way for a while for many of us. Until it doesn't anymore. And that's where we come to the fourth season of the spiritual journey, and this is called the journey inward and the wall. It's a deeply personal, unsettling experience that disrupts your experience of God to the point that you feel that you are losing your faith. And it's usually marked by a crisis that turns our world upside down. And maybe that sounds familiar after the last year and a half. Perhaps for you it could be a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member. 
Perhaps it's a cancer diagnosis or a disillusioning experience with the church and community. Perhaps it's a shattered dream, a wayward child caring for an aging family member. Maybe it's infertility or a deep desire to marry that's gone unfulfilled. Maybe it's a dryness or a loss of joy in your relationship with God. And those pleasant feelings that we've relied on are gone. And these circumstances in our lives arise that we can't ignore anymore. It's when God's presence doesn't seem to match our reality. And it's the moment where many of us come face to face with God and our own will. And you might find yourself questioning yourself, questioning God, questioning the church. And you discover for the first time in this season that your faith doesn't really seem to work anymore. You have more questions than answers as the very foundation of faith feels like it's on the line. You don't know where God is. You don't know what he's doing. And you don't know where he's going, how he's getting there, or when this season will be over. There are times when God's presence does not seem to match our reality. And for some of you that have been with us for a while, this is not the first time that we've talked about the wall and the journey inward. This might be familiar to you, especially if you've gone through some of the courses that we've offered in past years. But what's unique about the moment that we're in together this year is that this is the first time that we have collectively faced a season that feels like this at the same time. If you were to look around and to talk to the people next to you, to turn to your right, turn to your left, and begin to hear some of the stories of this year, it would probably bring you to tears. If you could turn to the person next to you and share your experience that you have been through in the past year and a half, it would probably bring them to tears as well. So we sit here in this collective moment where a lot of us are not okay. Our faith does not seem to be working anymore. And I know for myself, there were these moments over the past two years that have been some of the darkest moments of my life. I found myself about two years ago just longing for more and longing for more with God and what this would look like to go to greater depths but not knowing fully how to get there. And then I got pregnant with my son, Judah, and about... About at the beginning of my third trimester, uh, the lockdown began. And it began this season of just deep isolation, questioning. And I gave birth during that season. And, and it was a very difficult labor. And um, there were a lot of complications that came out of it for myself, for my son, that we dealt with for a really long period of time afterwards. And what came out of that is just a deep postpartum depression that I was not ready for, that I could barely recognize. And I, I remember there was this day when I went on a walk, and I was on this little walk around our neighborhood. And as I saw my house, I, I had this feeling where I went, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back. I just want to turn around, walk the other direction, and keep going. And it was in that moment where I thought, this is something I've never felt before and this is not okay, my life is not working anymore. And I remember pressing in and, and, trying, and, and wanting to ask God that, and I remember being so angry at God, and up until that point, I didn't know how to be angry with God. And I remember just saying, God, where were you? Where were you in my moments of my deepest pain? Where were you in my birth with my son? 
Where were you when there was so much isolation and we had our family move away from us after my son was born? God, where were you in my pain? And maybe you can relate to that question. Maybe you find yourself asking that today. God, where are you? I can't seem to find you anymore. So how do we respond when it feels like God's presence has disappeared? When our faith no longer seems to work? There's two responses that seem to come to mind, and the first is this. It's to double down. To try it harder to do more of what's already not working. And so you take on more. I'm going to read my Bible twice a day now. Or I haven't done it in a month, but I'm going to start doing it again. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to pray harder. And, and you know, I'm going to make sure I go to church every single week. And, you, and maybe you even find someone else and say, hey, let's be accountability partners. And let's try twice as hard because it's just, I need more. It's not working. And you'll notice the signs, if you're doubling down, would be a lot of self-accusation. That inner critic telling you that it's never going to be enough, that you've got to try harder. You also notice a sense of deep shame. But the second response would be the opposite. Instead of doubling down, maybe you find yourself ready to walk away, to give up on this altogether. And this can begin oftentimes with isolation. You'll find yourself pulling away um, from people and things that you know are good for you but you might find yourself ending up walking away completely. It just feels like it's too much to bear and it's been too long that it's not working. And you'll notice the signs of this would be isolation in your life or a deep sense of loss. And I think this is where we find Elijah in this text. If you notice when he says to God, I've had enough, just take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. And we see in verse 10, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. He says, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. We see with Elijah this deep sense of isolation, of loss, of feeling like he's the only one, and he just no longer has it in him to go on. And it can be easy for us to feel that way as well, to feel isolated, to feel alone to feel like we're the only one left, to feel like we're the only one who's here at the wall, ready to give up. But it's interesting because it's not just us in this moment. It's not just Elijah. Jesus himself faced the greatest wall. We see this as he's in agony at the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, if you're willing, would you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. And he, there's a blood that is coming out. He is so at this point of stress and so overwhelmed with what's about to come that he's pleading with God, like, I don't, can you take this away from me? And then with his death on the cross, we see him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus faced the greatest wall. But in this radical reversal of pain and suffering, right in that moment when we say, God, where are you? Where have you been? He says, I'm right there with you. And God enters into our pain and our suffering. And this core longing of the human heart 
that's marked with tremendous isolation, tremendous loss, tremendous shame. That's why we need God to be Emmanuel. That's why he came, and Emmanuel is God with us, that he doesn't leave us in our pain, in our mess, in our isolation, in our brokenness alone. This is the grace of God that Jesus enters into our pain. He says, I'm right there with you, and yet he redeems it with his own sacrifice. Isaiah 53 says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So could it be not that God is absent right now, but that he is here? Could it be that Jesus meets us at the wall? in the very place right now where it feels that God is absent, in the very place where it feels like you cannot go on anymore, he is here face to face with you saying, I understand and I want all of you. Hebrews 4, I love this idea. It says we don't have this high priest referring to Jesus as our high priest who's unable to sympathize with us in our weakness but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Jesus meets us at the wall, and he enters into our pain with us and redeems it with his own blood. He is right here. Emmanuel, God with us. Sometimes our wall our heartache is the very place where God invites us to a new revelation of himself. Look with me again at Elijah in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. You notice in this story that the way that God shows up is not like the way that he showed up before. It's not in these loud sounds. It's not in the powerful acts. It's not in these earth-shattering experiences, these dramatic moments. It's this gentle whisper. Even without all the noise, he is here. Jesus meets us at the wall, and he invites us to a new revelation of himself. Perhaps it's just not in the way that we're used to experiencing. Without the loud, without the drama, without all of the things that made it comfortable and sensational before. Maybe right now it's a gentle whisper. 
So are we willing to hear God's voice even when it doesn't show up in a way that we've seen before? That defies these categories and these boxes of how God is supposed to speak. And could it be that in the very place that we are unable to go on, that's the very place where God is inviting us to become who we were meant to be? The Apostle James in, in his letter says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Could it be that the wall is the very thing that God is using to shape you into who you were always meant to be? He longs that you would know true peace and rest, that you would come to maturity in him. He longs for you to be free of all of the things that have kept you from fully receiving his love and his grace and the relationship with him. And these are the sort of things that we see stripped away as we journey through the wall. We are freed from pride, being quick to condemn others. We're freed from discontentment, that what we have is never enough. We're freed from luxury, taking more pleasure in what God gives us than in God himself. We're freed from wrath, being easily irritated with little patience to wait. We're freed from spiritual greed, of resisting the cross and choosing only what is pleasurable. We're freed from envy, of feeling unhappy when others do well and constantly comparing. Finally, we're freed from apathy, of running away from what is hard and only aiming for spiritual sweetness. Can you imagine a life that is free? The wall is what God uses to change our cravings, to change the things that we long for. Can you imagine a life that is free? Free to delight, to love, to enjoy God and enjoy others in every season? In the words of the Apostle Peter, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And we see glimpses of the glory that's on the other side of the wall, the new ways that God reveals himself to us. And if season four is that journey inward in the wall, what follows is the journey outward, where we're able to look outward again from this place of deep inner change with a new peace with our humanness and God's greatness. There's a fresh freedom and delight in all of these things that we used to do that no longer felt like they were working anymore. There's a new life in them again. 
And we also see the life of love, this sixth stage, the sixth season where we can receive the events, the people, the circumstances in our lives as a gift that keeps us moving forward in our journey with God. And Christ's love becomes our love, both towards God and towards others. And I'll tell you, for myself in that journey over the past two years, to reach those places of such depth, of being able to honestly say to God, where were you? And he says right back, I'm right here. And to see the things that he has stripped away from me that I never thought were possible, the people-pleasing, the need to perform, the need to produce things for God, and instead to experience this past year the depths of his love like I have always longed for, to be able to see his face and to just feel his love when it says the light of his face to shine upon you, to feel that fully. And I'll tell you what it feels like this year is like I've been born again. It feels like I'm a new person. It feels like I can receive God's love in a way that I never thought was possible and to see growth and to see change in ways that I had given up on. And that's what I long for for you. That's what I long for for our church, to be born again into that depth, that love of God that transforms the places that you think are impossible because God is the God of the impossible. So wherever you are right now in this journey, in the words of Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the question remains, how do we hold on to God right here and right now? What's needed in this moment to step into more? What's needed is grit. And that's our third and our final value. We define grit as passionate resilience that's focused on a mission. Think of grit like knowing what's to come is so much better and it's holding on to who God is and being willing to come face to face with God and our will and to hear his voice in a new way. This is that final piece of our values. It's the continuation, if you will, of wholehearted, of gracious, of showing up with all of our heart, mind, and strength, of meeting each other where we're at. Gritty is to keep doing that to keep showing up with our whole selves, to keep meeting each other where we're at, even when it's hard. But before I go on, I want you to notice, as I bring up that term gritty and the holding on and, and continuing and, and, and keep going, what's coming up in you as you hear that word? Because it, that's a word that we hear a lot in culture. Maybe you hear, try harder. Maybe you hear even double down. Don't let go. You can't end. You can't embrace your limits. Maybe you hear you can never stop. Maybe it just sounds exhausting to keep going on. And how does grit fit with this idea of the gentle whisper of God that we see in 1 Kings 19? 
Well, we're part of a kingdom with a king who conquers not by strength and military might, but by laying down his life. Who invites his people to do the same, to not seek greatness, but instead to become like a servant. A king who doesn't win by the world's standards, but says instead, I have overcome death itself. A king who has already declared a final and a decisive victory, who says to his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Grit is a willingness to hear God, to see him in the ways that you have not seen him before. And maybe right now, as you think about wanting to hear and to see God, maybe you're overthinking God's presence. Because God can show up in simple and practical ways as well. We even look earlier on in this chapter in verses 5 through 8, the first way that God appears is to Elijah in the form of a meal and some water to give him the strength to be able to go on in this journey. So perhaps right now God is inviting you to experience his presence at the family meal or maybe on your lunch break or maybe going on a quick walk. Maybe he's getting your attention while you're falling asleep during a sermon. But grit is the willingness to be able to hold on at the wall, to hold on in those moments, knowing that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Grit is passionate resilience focused on a mission. It's a grit that can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not disappoint and it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Are you willing to show up with grit? to see God in the very places of your disappointment, your pain, your suffering. I think this begins with grieving, being able to face the truth in order to move forward, to learn how to be honest with God about yourself and your story, about your wounds, your mistakes, your pain, and accepting that with compassion. I think the second piece The first is grieving, the second would be to receive, to hear the new way that God is speaking and to surrender to God's will. Say, okay, God, I've been trying it my way and it's not working. And then listening for how he might be speaking in a way that you've not heard before. Surrender frees us to respond to what God is actually doing instead of what we think that he should be doing. So are you willing to show up with grit? But maybe a deeper question right now is, are we willing as a church to show up with grit, to hold on to God, to see God even when it's not like it used to be? And that's what we did last Sunday at that first reality check gathering. We sat in tables right here in this space, 
And we began by celebrating what God has done in our church community. And we processed what we're now invited to let go of in the, the season that we're in, what no longer feels right in this moment. And we began to receive together the new thing that God is doing right here in our midst. And we were able to see people in our church as we sat at these tables come up, present, put these sticky notes of all these things that God has done and these areas that God is inviting us to change, to step into new things. And it was a beautiful thing to see. So right here in our church, just like with Elijah, could it be that God is speaking in a new way? And that together we can come to grips with where we are and also step into something new. So just like Laza mentioned, we want to continue to show up like that together. So two weeks from now, we're going to have another meeting like that, another gathering as we continue that process together. And if you consider reality to be your church family, we want you to be there. We want you to be a part of that listening to God together. To continue to voice and listen to the new thing that God is doing in our midst. So as we close, I don't want to just wait for two weeks from now. I'd love for right now that we begin to practice this posture together to first grieve. Maybe that looks like taking some time right now to be still with God, to listen, to grieve, to acknowledge where you're really at. Maybe that means you can come here and use the carpets or kneel right where you're at. You know, just a, an openness and an honesty with God. Uh, a friend this week calls that good grieving. And I think the second thing right now is to receive the new thing that God is doing. And you can think of that like that posture of open hands. So even as I ask James to come up, we're going to continue this process together as we sing. And I'd invite you to be able to find space to receive, to listen to God for the new thing he is speaking, the new way that he's speaking to you right now, and to surrender your will to his. And that often looks like the act of confession, which is a beautiful thing. A holy contrition is saying, yeah, this is where I'm at. It wasn't working, and I'll do it your way, God, and I want to receive your presence again. And that's the beauty of communion that you see to the right and to the left, is that as followers of Jesus, we're able to take and viscerally taste and see that Jesus is good, that Jesus knows what it's like to be at the wall, and that he gave himself to enter into our pain and say, I am making all things new. So together right now in the next 20 minutes, let's begin listening and receiving God's invitation to a new thing, this fresh revelation. So as we do that, would you close your eyes with me? And there's a verse that, keep, that kept coming up as I prepared this. And that's from Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. And this verse, as I prayed, and it just kept coming to mind for our church. So if I would invite you right now to just begin in that posture to receive. And it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Amen.